Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about role players. I'm Jess Metters. And I'm Colin Lamothe. Every week we get together to talk about a range of gaming-related topics, from creating character to running a game, and you know, what it all means for people who share a favorite hobby. We may not be experts, but we do have pleasant voices <laughs> and a wealth of gaming experience that we're eager to share with you. Our topic today is how to run a good mystery. But before we get into it, Colin, guess what I did this week? Ooh, uh, do you really want me to guess, or, or do I you want just wanna... you to give me the wildest, most ridiculous guess because you already know what I'm going to say. I do actually, which is you know takes the fun out of the guessing. But I'm going to go ahead and, and do a different kind of guess. I am going to guess that you successfully performed as a body double to a famous person. I want to say Unfortunately not this week, but I have done that before. I want to say Mark Ruffalo. Oh. I mm. Considering he's got a good like 20 something years on me and I you think pull it like off. 40 or 50 pounds. You could pull it off. I Could I? <laughs> Could I'd like, I really? I'd like to see you try to pull it off. I would love to try. I think that would be a lot of fun, but I don't think I would be particularly successful. No, what I actually did was I ran the Goblin Court game. Ah, yes. Ah, the Goblin Court game. People who listen to our podcast more regularly might recognize the fact that we discussed this just an episode or so back. Yeah, in our uh, Monster Spotlight oh, challenge where we back. talked about goblins one of the things that i kind of threw out there off the cuff was you know what if you're walking down the road through the forest and you stumble upon like a slaughtered caravan and then a whole bunch of goblin cops jump out and arrest you and uh a listener of the show who is a good friend of mine who i run games for sometimes basically texted me immediately after hearing that episode and said I would absolutely love to play in the Goblin Court game. So I made it. And, uh, you know, regular listeners will know I have a little bit of experience with, I mean, basically, I'm going to say creating modules like this. Because most of the time, what Colin and I both do when we run games is it's less about here is this contained little story and it's more here's this sandbox in which you can play and here is my story happening within it extremely true uh but lately i've been running these little one shots uh as part of my push to become a professional dm which is a ridiculous idea but i like it and it's possible i swear um I've been working on essentially writing these little one-shot contained campaigns and running them more like a module, more like something that you would find in an official book. Uh, and I'm still basically figuring out how to make that work, but what I stumbled upon with this one was a lot of fun. The players were very into it and like everybody bought into the idea. The only problem that I ran into was figuring out how to actually signpost things so that this murder mystery that I've built up, this tale of politics and intrigue and 
mysterious murders in this murder mystery. I'm very good with words. Yeah, I can tell. But yeah, I, I had trouble guiding my players to exactly the right clues. So by the end of the session, they had figured out about three quarters of what was going on. And then I kind of had to nudge them over the finish line. Which, well, as a storyteller, doesn't feel good. Well, you know, it's the the process of being able to write uh, a good mystery-based campaign um, is is a delicate one and a difficult one to strike. And it depends almost as, uh, almost as much on the DM as it does on the type of players that you choose to be part of the game. Which... Since I think that is an absolutely valid thing that you struggle with, could segue us nicely into what we wanted to talk about this episode. I think it would. So, Colin, Almost let me... deliberately. It's like we planned it. <laughs> let me ask you real quick. You. Uh, if, if you had to sum up writing or running a good mystery in... An arbitrary number, let's say two. Two points about running a good mystery. What would you say are the two most important things to keep in mind? The two most important things to keep in mind when you, uh, in order to run a good mystery, because we're, we're distilling it down to, to two for the sake of this, right? Yes, for completely arbitrary and easy to remember reasons. Sure, okay. Um then uh, I would say the two things you need to keep in mind, um, the two most important things about a mystery campaign is uh, both, one, the mood, and two, the pacing. Mm. So Now, I think yeah, go ahead. mood is something that I probably had a little bit of trouble with, mostly because this group of players that I was, or that I have been running these games for... Uh, they enjoy the comedic aspect of getting around the table and everybody is playing these like fun fanciful swords and sorcery sort of characters and they crack a lot of jokes they make wise sure sure i mean well i mean it's it's a misnomer to think you know like it's, it's actually just you know you don't you don't have to make it a it was a dark and stormy night when the dame came through my front you don't have to make it like that it doesn't have to be a specific mood. You just have to have a consistent mood. It can be a comedic mystery. There are such things as comedic mysteries. Like Scooby-Doo. Exactly. Exactly. Where hijinks play a vital part of the narrative process. There's always a point in time where uh, a ridiculous plan is thought up and becomes kind of the crux of the next, like, maybe five to eight minutes of the episode. So when I when I say mood, I don't mean you need to prescribe to the spooky mystery mood, although that is an effective mood for a mystery. You just need to have a consistent mood that maintains kind of your premise. So if, if you decided with your goblin court that your goblin court was also kind of silly, all of your goblins had silly voices and many, many titles. Um, then you obviously would struggle to place that within a more serious mood and setting uh, in such a way that it would almost be dissonant. 
But if you leaned yeah. heavy into the comedy of the trope, you could bring in elements of mystery with comedy in order to create a, a kind of a very interesting and unexpected roller coaster of a game. I think that was definitely something that I should have planned a little bit better because mm -hmm. I did, I leaned a little bit more into the seriousness of the situation. Mm. Like the whole thing was based around this conspiracy that my players honestly never ended up really uncovering because they didn't take the time that I thought they would take talking to a couple of NPCs that... In one case, I just never even really got the chance to mention because they never went to the place where she was. And in another case, steamrollered over what was supposed to be gained out of it and ended up like basically just completely spilling the beans um, about everything. So I could have, in retrospect, leaned into the comedy of goblin court a little bit more to make it less about you need to solve this mystery or bad things will happen and more about here's a fun mystery for you to solve yeah uh, essentially it, if you go into your game thinking that the only mysteries that are worth solving are the ones that are dangerous and dark and take place on stormy nights or in haunted graveyards or in seedy back alley bars that is a viable setting a viable mood but it is not the only mood that you can take with mystery we're not talking about horror mystery we can talk about comedy mystery we can talk about we can talk about uh a suspense mystery it, it just depends on the type of mood that you're trying to um evoke a mystery is uh, essentially something that you can work into any campaign that you are running. The base components are there is a question without an answer, but there are clues that are left to lead the players to an answer. And you have to decide kind of how you're going to play with that. And that's, that, that's when we come to pacing. So mm -hmm. pacing is a kind of a two-part theory where... It depends on your ability to modulate the player's experience. You have to introduce clues at the exact right time that they can progress with them and move to the next stage. You don't want it to go too fast, and you don't want it to go too slow. Too fast and the mystery is over before you've scarcely begun. You haven't built up enough uh, dramatic energy. Or, or, or really the... built the stakes. Yes, you haven't built the stakes properly if you move too fast. And if you move too slow, you risk losing player interest, adding to player frustration. You can have a mystery that takes part over the entirety of a game. But in times that I've seen that work out, uh, the mystery was, inter was interspaced with a lot of sub-mysteries. That moved to the next. That moved to the next point. Each clue became a dynamic part of each uh, of, of each session. So that right. the clue behind the missing girl, the first person that they needed to talk to was the was the last one who had seen her, and uh, they find out that this person uh, isn't isn't really able to talk to them. Uh, because they've been beaten down, they've been beaten down by uh, somebody who owes them money, and so 
It's the party's it's the party's concern to go out and deal with this guy that owes them money so they can come back and the person feels safe enough to give them the next bit of information. So you can either arbitrate your clues by a player's willingness to investigate or feed them out in a subquest kind of way from NPCs. It depends, uh, and a good mystery, in my opinion, uses a mixture of both so that you can bring in both outside perspective to shape the mystery that you are building, along with an internal sense of accomplishment that the players are constantly moving the story ever closer to a resolution. Now, if you're like me, I get really excited about my mysteries. Like really, oh, yeah. really excited. And you might be tempted to give hints out of character. And you can do that, but just keep in mind that if you give enough hints out of characters and the players guess it, it won't have as much of an impact when you finally reach the point of revelation. So it's kind of a, do you find out what your presents are before Christmas or do you wait to open them up on the day? See, this to me speaks to such a strange personal endeavor because like I, (laughs) personally, I hate spoilers. Yep. But I'm also not a big fan of surprises. (laughs) You, You straddle a weird middle ground, buddy. I absolutely do. It's the sort of thing where if someone is going to give me a gift, I want to know what I'm getting so I know what I'm supposed to give in return. Oh, like I'm, man. I know, I know. I'm just very transactional about things like that, and I don't Great. know where that came from. But if a narrative is being fed to me, I don't want to know anything about it before I get into it. To the point where I have actively avoided movies and books and TV shows and even, like, really dumb things like soundtracks to shows and stuff like that because people tell me, oh, hey, this is really good. You'll really like it when blah, blah, blah happens. And I'm like, cool, I'm never going to watch the thing now because you just told me, one, that I'll like it. And how presumptuous can you be, you <laughs> butthole? But two, and far more importantly, like you took away that surprise for me. Even for people who don't mean to spoil things at all, you're like, a, you took away that mystery. You're a strangely aggressive friend, Jess. You're... I, I am a strangely aggressive consumer. I am a delightful friend, and I'm very good at friendship forever, Colin. How dare you say that I'm aggressive? I'm just, how dare you be presumptuous and think I like this? Holy (laughs) hell, you've got some issues, buddy. (laughs) Nah, nah, you got me on that one. You got me there. In, uh, my favorite games to run are in horror mystery. And, um, I was listening to, um podcast uh and they were talking about the making thereof um this podcast was called the magnus archives uh excellent podcast to listen to uh with mystery horror uh they mentioned something that i think uh, applies especially to games um mystery and horror are are they work extremely well together at first 
the unfortunate part is the more you know about the horror, the less horrifying it becomes. Knowledge is the direct opponent to horror. If you see the monster, it's less scary, mm. usually. Um, well, um, and that's what a lot of, like, eldritch horror, like Call of Cthulhu sort of stuff is built around. Mm -hmm. Is You never can learn enough to make it so that it stops being horrifying. But the problem with mystery is that it relies on an actual gradual unveiling of that mystery to be a potent mystery. You can't constantly suspend a mystery in front of someone and never give them an answer. Eventually, you'll frustrate the audience. So you have to give answers at some point in time in your mystery, but giving more answers will take chips out of the horror. So a good horror mystery knows precisely when to end. You have to be very careful about where your beats are, where your moments of revelation hit the player characters, because you will start to lose the power of horror as the mystery itself become uh, gets unveiled. And the only way to maintain those pieces together is to ensure that you don't try to draw out the mystery long enough, adding in extra steps, convoluting the hell out of it that you you give the players the answers that they need in order to progress within the mystery but don't draw it out so long that the horror becomes banal now with that and i know horror is a slightly different beast to take uh to deal with than something like a fantasy game or um like a modern adventure or sci-fi like, horror has its own challenges, but I know one of the games that I'm currently playing in right now has a significant mystery element in the background of it. Mm -hmm. Like, we have been, for about three years now, pushing toward finding out this one mystery. Like, who is trying to resurrect the Lich King? We are closer to that answer than we were when we started but it's you know like i said it's been three years of playing this one campaign and the end is not in sight uh and i think that works because of the genre because we're playing high fantasy and we can keep jumping around to these different little adventures and as we get closer to the answer there's another layer in the way for us to get through in one way or another but if you're dealing with something that is more traditional horror do games like that have a shelf life i would say they absolutely do have a shelf life uh for the most part and i would also say that technically speaking your ongoing interior mystery uh that you've been going through the, uh, the, through the last three years is interspaced by the adventures that you get into between there and, you know between here and there if that mystery was the only thing that you were focusing on in the three years and there was literally nothing else but that mystery to the exclusion of other adventures and character development and stuff I, I would struggle to say why you'd be able to stretch it out for three years no and i absolutely agree i think if everything had been focused very uh pointedly on that one storyline it would not be not even a memorable game. It wouldn't be a good game. Right. 
that is completely possible and it has been done many times before to have an arcing mythos mystery built underneath a a long running game not only is it fun to do uh but it it also follows uh it also kind of follows the I'd say the accepted practice of a lot of syndicated TV shows where they might have a couple of episodes of miniature adventures and then you'd have what would be considered a mythos episode. The mythos episode builds into the grand story arc of that season or even of the entire premise of the show. And then you go right back into regular adventures till you're ready for another mythos episode. It's, it's, oh, yeah. it, it's all about pacing and knowing where to intersperse your mysteries. Well, if you want a very good example of a TV show that did that, and you can kind of see them learning how to pace the mystery of the mythos, Adventure Time, the cartoon, is actually, like, kind of brilliant in the way that it handles it, because the first season has maybe two episodes that actually deal with, like, there being an overarching plot at all. And then you get into the later seasons, and suddenly it is about 75% what you would call mythos episodes, and the other 25% is the goofy, jokey, filler sort of stuff that they started on. And it's really interesting to see how, at least in that example, they had to build the dedicated audience that cared about that side of the story, as opposed to seeing the joke-a-week format. Right, exactly. I think translating that to a role-playing game is a very interesting challenge because your audience is almost infinitely smaller than something like any major TV show will ever have. Like, unless you are one of the dozen people who's running, like, a popular actual play podcast, then you're not necessarily getting any recognition outside of your own players. And really, that's what it's all about. It's not for a 100,000 random strangers on the internet. It's for the six people around the table. So when your audience is that laser-focused, how does that affect the way that you pace out a mystery? Um... <sighs> The best way that I can answer that question is uh, harkening back to other episodes that we've had. When you are a DM, when you are running a storyline that all the players have bought into, you need to give all the players that have bought into it an actual port to put into their skills. So when you build your mystery, you have to include all of the characters, all of the characters of the, of the players in that mystery. All of them need a tie-in in order to make the mystery resonate with them. If the mystery is going to be your main focus, then everyone needs a reason why that mystery is a main focus to them. There is nothing, there, there are a few things that are more frustrating than to be the odd man out when a huge part of the game is going on. If you are somebody that's joined into a game and the rest of the party has been working on this huge quest for sessions upon sessions upon sessions, and you come in with nothing to do with that quest at all, no buy-in or anything, then everything that they're doing sort of almost feels exclusionary. You're there to help facilitate their plot 
rather than being a part of that plot yourself. At least that's how I feel. And I can completely understand where that feeling comes from. I think that's that's pretty apparent. Right. It it's it's something that I've noticed in the time that I have been a DM. Uh, is that everybody wants to have their moment in the spotlight, a thing that they can do that uh, in the end, the game wouldn't be what it was or the end victory wouldn't have happened without that contribution. And with a mystery and the fact that you are pacing it either by putting the clues into the NPC's hands and then delivering the NPCs unto the party or letting the party in certain situations draw conclusions and then rewarding their own intuition and investigation with moving the plot along, you have to build it, or you, you, you can and should build it around the PC's investment. Mm-hmm. You can build that. And, and the thing is, is, is if you're, if you're all right, if you're pretty good at improvisation, especially for a mystery that you are pacing, you have the opportunity to write down where the mystery should be and then write down how each player plays into this mystery at its various levels. So for the for the DM that loves to plan everything meticulously in advance, this works out perfectly. You can draw a chart, a diagram of how this person fits into this part of the mystery and how they should be able to handle this particular problem. If you're a fly by the seat of your pants DM, then you get to do another thing that is really interesting, which is what I'd call intuitive storytelling. Um, it's a it's where your players will inform you what is important to them. Can't tell you how many games that I've run that I've kind of begun with a general idea of what I want the mystery to be, and the players, through how they decided to take on their investigation or the parts of the investigation they put importance on, informed me what that mystery was going to be and as it developed. So that later down the line, they'd be like, oh my gosh, that NPC that I followed on a whim, I had no idea they would be such a huge part of the story. And you're sitting there being like, yeah, I had no idea either until you had some weird fixation on them and then I guess they became a big part of the story. (laughs) But you don't say that to them. You say, yes, all according to plan. I'm glad you caught that. It was almost like it was serendipity. Yes. Now, stuff like that is particularly interesting to me because I am sort of in the middle, you know this, where I will plan things like crazy outside of my players but when it comes to actually trying to anticipate what a player might do i have what i will refer to as gaping blind spots (laughs) and a lot of this comes into the fact of like i have run games especially recently where i'm sitting at the table with people i don't know right So I have to, by necessity, try and build a campaign or at least a world for my players to run around in where there is always something to do and there is always someone to talk to and no matter where they go, there is a plot point. Um, And I believe you advised me on this uh, fairly recently where it's like, if you are setting up a mystery, because this is something that we've touched on before very briefly... One thing that you have to do is make sure that plot points are not relegated to single places or single NPCs. And you can 
walk into a room and find the manifest that says, oh yeah, they were trading slaves, but you can also walk into the dungeon and find the escaped slave who's hanging upside down by their feet. Let's give this, let's let's uh, put this into the context of a situation. So let's say the players, um, in pursuit of an enemy, track them down to uh, this abandoned warehouse where the uh, where the gang is, and you expect them to have a drag out fight. And at the end of that fight, when they search the when they search the gang, they search their bodies. They're going to find um, an inform. They're going to find information, a burner phone. Or they're going to find a whole bunch of things that will lead them to the next part. But one player says, "Oh, actually, I think what would be a really good idea is to." Um, turn our vehicles into bombs and then run them into the uh run them into this uh factory we don't need to fight them head on we'll just blow it up and burn it down around them and you're like oh whoa oh yeah that there goes all the the clues you you killed all the clues (laughs) the players (laughs) the players absolutely (laughs) i'm sorry you killed all the clues (laughs) The players, and and I cannot stress this enough, having a game group that surprises you in that way is actually a great blessing. A DM's job can become incredibly boring when the players only act by the script that you expect them to do. It is in their ingenuity and the way they handle problems outside of what you expected that, or at least for me, that becomes the most fun in a game. I'm sitting there like, I, I guess you could do that. I guess you could turn these into bombs. Crap. Shit. Well, what, what's my plan now? And 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 it it forces you to to think quickly on your feet. Maybe a gang member or two manages to just crawl out of the burning building and try to escape on foot. Now the players have a chance to interrogate and gain the clues that way. Or perhaps the whole gang wasn't there in the in the first place and the, and the characters will have a chance to run into them later on down the line. You, as the storyteller, get to arbitrate the story so your words are only set in stone after you have told them to the players. After your information gets to the players, that is the only time when you cannot change it unnecessarily on them without explanation. But before that, before they know, it can be literally anything. Oh, yeah. And you will hear no argument from me saying that one of a DM's greatest strengths should not be being able to respond to things on the fly. Adaptability is incredibly important, and it's something that every DM should work on Mm -hmm. constantly. Players, too, but, like, if you are telling the story, if you're running the game, then you have to be prepared to adjust on the fly to any situation. But I will say, one of my favorite things in any role-playing system ever came from World of Darkness, and it was a, um, what are they called in that, merits? Yep. It's a merit called Common Sense, (laughs) where (laughs) mechanically it's supposed to be once per session, if you have this merit, the storyteller might just pull you aside and say, hey, you might want to rethink this course of action. Which... That's all it's really supposed to be. It is literally just storyteller to single player 
this might not be the best idea. Ah, my players have me pegged. Uh, They don't even need that merit. Usually they'll come up with a plan and be like, and this is how we're going to do it. I'm like, yeah, okay. And they're like, "Uh, uh, maybe I'm going to rethink that. I'm like, ah, crap. (laughs) Well, that is... That's the danger of playing with the same groups for a long time. They start to learn your tells. They do. They which do. Which means, like, as storytellers, you and I both need to become very, very good at, like, just completely mixing up the stories and hiding any ounce of humanity that you still have right, left within yourself. Just burn it out. Lock it away. And become a magical storytelling robot. Yep, that's right. Just automaton your way through narrative. That's uh, that's the dream. That's uh, that's what we all strive for. You walk into the tavern. There are four bugbears sitting at the bar. You are, you're a very low tech robot. We gotta get your, we gotta get your voice modulators fixed. It was broken in the troubles. <laughs> I will say this about mysteries, and it is that you don't always have to begin with a mystery in mind. Your players help to inform you where the places are in your game that devote themselves to a mystery. As I mentioned a little earlier on, your your players, for a very good reactive DM help you shape the game by their own choices. Their choose-your-own-adventure book without the pages pre-written. So they put a bunch of focus on a bit of graffiti you put in for fun. You have the option to say, yeah, there's nothing important about that. Or you can take a beat and say, how can this be important? The player seems to think that it is. I should reward that by telling them that it absolutely is important. Now, that can't happen all the time. Sometimes they just want to go off on a crazy side quest, and you're like, guys, we're, we're right at the end. I, I swear to you, that puppy has nothing to do with, with the Armageddon that is coming down from the sky. It's just an adorable puppy. Guys. Yeah, see, here's the problem. You mentioned an adorable puppy during the Armageddon. <laughs> There can be adorable puppies in an Armageddon. Can there be? There absolutely can be. What Should dissonant there be? Oh, there, yes, yes. Where where do you think the puppies go when the Armageddon starts? They just phase uh, off to a go, fluffy dimension? No, they go to my home where I keep them safe. <laughs> I have built a puppy bomb shelter. A it puppy is only panic for room. puppies. Puppy oh panic. Oh god, puppy panic room was so good. Colin, you're good at these. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, of course. Of course, puppy bomb shelter just makes me think that there's something called a puppy bomb, and I want to know what that is, but I'm also terrified to think that that might already be a real thing, yeah. and I definitely don't want to think about it anymore. Let's change the subject. There you go. You, 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 you backed yourself myself. into a corner there, buddy. Okay, so... When you are running, uh, when you're running a mystery campaign and you want to build suspense, uh, a very good way to do this is not in an abundance of information, but the lack of information, the intuition, or, or rather the um, 
what's a word that I'm looking for here? It, it's not it's not the direct application of information, but the parsnips. No, God, you're 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 bad at this sandwich. You're it's it's worse when you try to help. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that one I'm gonna leave that one aside because you are of no help to me. Um, building suspense is is a delicate procedure. I would always recommend you to use something like changing the inflection in in the story that you are weaving. Um, oh no, officer! I definitely didn't shoot her you're disqualified from running what you said change the inflection yeah I, I changed the inflection i'm not i can't even begin with you or the utilization of music mood setting music there are lots of ambiances that you can find on youtube and jazz i swear to god if you edit in something goofy here i i'll hurt you call then How dare you accuse me of even considering editing in something goofy? I will have you know that as the listener is listening right now, there is glorious epic music playing underneath what we are saying. Of course there is. Of course there is. It it doesn't have anything to do with building suspense or mystery, but it is glorious and epic. Oh, right. You know what? You know what? I'm going to pass this on to you right now. You've played Dread before. You tell me how to build a suspenseful environment. Now, see, here's the great thing about Dread. And, like, honestly, at some point, I just need to sit down and talk with that designer because I I will literally just sit there and be like, hey, did you know you made a perfect game? Because Dread builds its suspense in its mechanics. Every time the players do something and they pull a block from the tower, you are making the world more dangerous to exist within. So, like, there is a very tangible, very right-in-your-face sense of raising stakes. And that is not necessarily the same as suspense. You can definitely create a lot of suspenseful atmosphere without the stakes being very high at all. I think Scooby-Doo is actually a bizarrely good example of how to do that Mm. because one thing that they always manage you never accept that the gang is in danger because it's a children's cartoon and we understand this but one thing that they are always doing is getting just a little bit closer to an answer Man. And I think it's that drip feed of information that really allows it to um, fill in fill in my blank here, Colin. The drip feed of information allows a mystery like Scooby-Doo to resonate. Thank you. You're welcome. But like, let's let's be real here. Thinking about some of the situations that the gang got into, those were very dangerous situations in retrospect. Oh, yeah. No, like, if they were, like, if there was a gritty reboot of Scooby-Doo, those kids would have been murdered, like, six times over. That opens, that argues a a very interesting genre shift. 
Look, I, and yet somebody would write that. Yeah, I I bet somewhere someone has. Now I'm wondering if there's Scooby Doo fan fiction out there. There is. I know there is. <laughs> I'm gonna assign you to just go and read some. You know what? You re- you read some report back to me. Oh, do I have to? Yeah, you do now. All right. I guess I guess I have Dodeca homework. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my God! We need to make that a segment on the show. Dodeca homework. Yeah, we do. Uh, speaking of segments on the show, we are just about getting to the end of our episode. Um, we really appreciate the time that you take in order to listen to us here, talk and quibble about how we have found, uh, our games to work, what things don't work and, um, kind of how it all comes together for us in our favorite hobby. And, uh, we couldn't do this without viewers like you positing us questions and giving us the confidence to continue blathering on week after week. It's true. Without people like you listening and giving us things to talk about, what would we talk about? I I I really fear what that question would be with you, Jess. Well, I think what it would essentially come down to is every week it's just, "Hey Colin, did you see any good dogs this week?" Um, yeah, that is exactly what it would be. But in lieu of that, luckily, we have this to talk about. And if you want to bring us any ideas, maybe you've run a horror mystery game or a comedy mystery game, and you have some things that you think would work out really well, and you'd like us to reflect upon it or even use it in our own games and figure it out, Jess, how would they get in contact with us? Well, there are a couple of ways. First, you could email us at dodecapodcast at gmail.com. Since my chair squeaked, I'm going to repeat that. That is dodecapodcast at gmail.com. We will also, by the end of this week, have a Twitter and Instagram account, which, if everything goes well, should also just be dodecapodcast. And we're also on Facebook, you can find us if you search Dodeca Podcast or go to facebook.com slash Podcast. Give us a like, subscribe, listen, rate, review. Send us an email if you have a question, if you've done a thing that we've talked about, if you think we should talk about a different thing. Share if you... with all of your friends. Yes, please. That would be fantastic. Like, the more people you get listening to our show, if you like it, uh, the more we can do with it. Yes. We have some very like, interesting plans for where we want to take this podcast. We really do. The next month is going to be very exciting. Uh, for a little bit of a preview, you can go back and listen to D&D High School episodes 0.1 and 0.2 to get kind of an idea of where we're going to be going. And, of course, as always... Uh, a big thank you to all of our listeners, to uh, to Jess Vetters, who help, who basically edits our program and puts it all together. Um, oh, hey, that's me. Yeah, I know that's you. Yeah, I, I thanked you here on the on the web. But um, I'm honored. From all of us here at Dodeca Podcast, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to hearing more about your comments and your mysteries. Reach out to us, and we will reach out to you. Thank you, and have a great night. Bye.